Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. It's the holiday season, just whoop-dee-doo and whop dee da and shake a lot and spend all your money. <laughs> that's, um, that's nice. That is a different version from, from the lyrics that you sang last time you attempted that song, which I believe were something along the lines of whoop-dee-doo, smackety-crack, and crack is whack. I remember crack is whack. That, you are correct. That's, yeah. I actually completely <laughs> forgotten I had opened an episode with that song until you started to say that. I'm like, oh my God, I did this last year, I think. <laughs> or I don't know if it was last year. It may have been two years ago even because I don't, I don't even remember. We'll just have to go back and look for the episode titled Crack is Whack or Smack is Whack. I th- no, it's Crack is Whack. It's definitely Crack, crack is, whack. is Whack. I remember. Cool. <laughs> I think it's one of our, our, our best episodes, actually. <laughs> like, I, like, I like seem downloaded to remember it being wise. an enjoyable one. Yeah. yeah and it's been oh, downloaded. Like, would... it's been listened to, like, more than, like, there's, like, a few episodes that for some whatever reason, whether it's the author or the title or whatever it is have like way more downloads and listens than other episodes. So who knows? So I've actually I've actually recently been going through our analytics a little bit and have noticed that the episodes that have a listener spike of like wow, all of a sudden like we've had a hundred more listens on this episode yeah. than any of the other ones around it. Um they they tend to have titles that are either very close to or exact ripoffs of common phrases or like TV show titles. Like, oh, great. There's one, there's one with a title that's something like, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, yeah. And that one is, it has been downloaded just a whole bunch of extra times. And I think it's because people search for the TV show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Well, I think we just accidentally come to us. I think we just discovered uh, how we will be marketing our podcast the rest of the time. Great. So this episode's title is The Lord of the Ring. <laughs> the Lord of the Ring or yeah. uh It's uh, not going to be Lord of the Rings because that would be trademark infringement, yeah. but you can have a Lord of a Ring. It'll be Beetlejuice 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 but spelled like like the star. Yeah. Uh <laughs> something like that, you know. <laughs> Hi y'all. How you doing? <laughs> As I sang earlier, it is the holiday season. Uh, it is. Yeah. We are officially on that Christmas creep. Yep. Uh, my parents got my sister and I a Cadbury advent calendar, which I'm very excited about. It's got little little different Cadbury, like mini, mini bars for every day. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, I'm excited. So I haven't started it yet because, you know, it's not, the, it's not December 1st yet, but... Um, but what I found out is last year, my mom got Ashley the wine advent calendar from Costco. And I'm a little fucking jealous because apparently the wine. So we had a bottle of it because she still had some. They're all like half bottles of wine. In and, an advent calendar? And you got one a day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the white one we opened, she she drank most of the red ones because she's more of a red drinker too. But, and, but she... Sh- she saved some of the white ones and put them in the fridge for like when people came over and want a white. So the sure. other night while I was waiting to go out to dinner with a friend, 
Uh, we cracked open one of those and just sat on the couch and, and shot the shit. And it was really good. And like I was like, wait, this was in an advent calendar? Costco's amazing. <laughs> Costco, if you want to sponsor us, I will sell the shit out of your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you have a wine advent calendar is amazing. I heard there's a beer one, too. I don't think it was an advent calendar because it would have been the wrong time of year. It might have just been like a... Uh, uh, like a a month of beers or something. I don't know. But my roommate, when I was in Utah yeah. doing Buddy, oh, had yeah. what felt like it was a beer advent calendar, except it was the middle of summer. So an advent calendar doesn't make any sense. Maybe he but had, was, like, maybe he's in like a beer club or something that does yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and it was, but it, but it was like, here's your beer for today. Oh, so that's cool. Or maybe he just saved yeah. his advent calendar for Christmas in July. Yeah, that could be it too. He's like, it also might have been a Christmas in July thing. I know a lot of places oh yeah. like specialize in, in It was probably from Christmas freaking Costco. <laughs> it's it's your Christmas in July advent calendar that starts on the 4th of July and yeah. runs until Yeah. I don't know. I don't know when when you're done with the beer. <laughs> have you seen the 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 Die Hard advent calendar? No. <laughs> Every day you advance um, Alan Rickman a floor lower on Nakatomi <laughs> Tower. <laughs> Is for real? Can I buy that? Yes. Yeah, that's it's actually a thing. All right. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I like Advent. I feel like Advent calendars were really big when we were kids and then they kind of went away for a while and now they're coming back. And I think it's because. People like are making them fun. Like they're kind of well, doing like what Elf in the Shelf is doing. Like they made it it's because they it our back. generation remembers Advent calendars. Yep. And now but those now people that we're have all adults, children. They're and, like, yeah. I want, I want whiskey in my Advent calendar. I, oh my god! Can you imagine like a bourbon Advent calendar? Like every day has a mini bourbon. I would be shocked if, if that's not a thing. If like if the Kentucky Visitor Center doesn't have a bourbon trail. If they don't, uh, uh, trademark, 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 and pay us for this amazing idea of at the uh, visitor center for the Kentucky Bourbon Trail that you sell whiskey at, like bourbon advent, and you work with every uh, distillery in the in the area on the bourbon trail. Yeah. That would be amazing. Not, <laughs> I suppose we could just try like buying a bunch of the little airplane whiskey bottles in bulk. Packaging them into an advent calendar and selling them. Is that our new side business? Our new side hustle? Get get the Campfire Classics themed drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Only one a day though, so it's just like a it's just a little like nightcap drink. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we do like full size bottles, and then that's a whole different thing. That's like the and then it's still it's that's still the Costco only one version. A day. That's the Costco version. It's still version. only one a day, yeah. but that's um. That's a lot of whiskey. <laughs> I, I don't want to think about my brain. <laughs> Here's your Costco handle of Maker's Mark. Oh Jesus, that that Woodford Reserve my parents get that's like bigger than my entire ass. Like it's just like it's so huge. Yeah. So hi everyone, it's the holidays. I hope you're hey, listener. I hope your Thanksgiving went well. Uh, I hope your Indigenous Peoples... I, I, I kind of want to rename Thanksgiving Indigenous Peoples Day just like Columbus Day in a way. Um, we'll just start doing that with every major holiday. Well, every major holiday that is celebrated because of colonialism and mass mass murder. Uh, well, which, strictly speaking, in this country would be most of them. M- most of them. It, 
I mean, even Christmas, I'm sure it's it's a pagan holiday back in the day. You know, there was something sacrificed. There was something going on. Yeah. There's a great, um, uh, there's there's a Thanksgiving episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where one, one of the characters is a rehabilitated demon and they're talking about their Thanksgiving traditions and she's like, oh, I love an event with a ritual sacrifice. They're like, what are you talking about? Thanksgiving doesn't have a ritual sacrifice. And she's like, um, you kill an animal and eat it <laughs> in order to commemorate the success of a past event. Yeah. It's a ritual sacrifice. That is a ritual sacrifice. <laughs> you all gather around a table around this animal that you have killed and stuffed. And you, you go, slaughter the carcass of a bird. And you go, yay, let's eat. Yeah, that, that is a ritual sacrifice. That's it's a ritual sacrifice. That's true. That is true. Um, yeah, I've had a good week. I've been, I have, I deep, I have literally deep dived into Wednesday on Netflix and The Vow on HBO Max, which is a documentary about. The next same cult, which is bonkers. Speaking of weird sacrifices and stuff, so and and Wednesday too is dark because you know it's about Wednesday Adams. Um, yeah, but it's the Adams family. But I, I mean, ha- how dark is it really? It's quite dark, actually. It gets a little graphic. Like so, the the young woman playing Wednesday. First of all, Christina Ricci's in it, which is fabulous. I had heard that. She plays one of her teachers and it's okay. so great. And it's just like such a, such a nice throwback. And, um, I watched the first episode. I downloaded it and watched it on the plane. And I was like, I'm going home and watching that. I'm going to keep watching it. And I seriously watched the entire series in one day. <laughs> no, Amazing. no guilt about that at all. Um, but she's very good. Uh, um, and it's it's dark. She's like it, it's almost like Nancy Drew meets Wednesday Adams, because <laughs> like I, like I don't without giving anything away because that's basically in the the description is she becomes like a amateur detective, and it's it's fascinating and it's fun, but it's still like got a lot of throwbacks to like the original and and then there is at one point she goes to a place with again without giving anything away she goes to a place called Pilgrim World. And wreaks okay. havoc, of course, because it, which I which is a delightful throwback to the Adams family values. To the to, second movie, yeah. which is one of the best scenes ever created for for uh, uh, cinema cinema history. But yeah, so that's great. I highly recommend it if you're looking for something kind of fun and and uh, quirky. And then if you want something that's just kind of downright what the vow, which my cousin Megan told me about at uh, Thanksgiving, so. I'm deep into that world now, but, and you opened a show this week. Yeah, we had a couple of performances. Uh, we're doing our um, touring performances right now. So we've it's been- It's kind of your out-of-town uh, tryouts, yeah. Uh, yeah, our out-of-town tryouts. We're, before before we settle into the great white way of Lewisburg, West yeah. Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's been going well so far. Audiences love it. Here's what I have learned. Audiences love it when you make fun of them. Yes, um, we've got a whole the bit right way we, though the right way the right way yeah. we've we've got a whole bit where we essentially spend like seven minutes calling the audience old because they it's real because it's true but yeah <laughs> and it's it is it is the part that has them rolling rolling in their seats well, they love it I feel like that is the uh, the formula that many comedians use like if they know their audience like. One of my favorite comedians on the ships, he like 
would call out the scooter people on the ship yeah. because there's all these kind of old, kind of overweight people riding around on scooters. And like That's why Rodney Dangerfield was able to have a career. Yeah. It's why a lot of comedians are just like, they go, we know this demographic and we're going to fuck with it. So, yeah. Um, but that's good. I'm excited to see it. I think I'm, I think I'm coming down for closing so we can drive back together. So, yeah. So that'll be fun. That'll be nice. Well, Hey listener, thank you. Wow. We just rambled a lot. (laughs) Thank you for bearing with us as we just basically caught up because we haven't had a lengthy conversation in several days and we just needed to do that. So you just get to, you get to hear Ken and I just doing what we do. So thanks, thanks for being Hi. part of that. Um, and welcome to the beginning of the actual podcast, which oh, yeah. is not um, Ken and Heather hang out and catch up because they miss each other. It is, in fact, <laughs> a literary comedy podcast where we attempt to cold read stories that we discover out of the public domain and read them to you sight unseen as we make fun of antiquated penis jokes and good old fashioned miscommunication yeah that's kind of what we do we also have a little sub sub thing now that's called clown corner yes Um, and by sub she means submissive because i have beaten the audience into submission over this segment kind of true so i'm i'm gonna do a quick one because i don't i i don't want to like take up too much time but i did promise two episodes ago when it was my episode that I would cover this person because this is the first this is the first modern day clown clown corner. So okay. I feel like we got to pay tribute to this guy because you know all these crazy creepy clowns that we've been covering only exist because of this guy. So so thanks Joseph Grimaldi that's his name. Uh, so he was born in 1778, and so how he became famous is he was in like the theater. Mm-hmm. And he was doing, you know, classic Commedia dell'arte because like clowning goes back, I mean, back to like ancient times. I mean, this you can oh, see yeah. this like in like Greek, Greek comedies and Greek. You never hear Greek comedies. It's always Greek tragedies. But there were comedies. There were uh, comedies. Lysistrata is yeah, hilarious. It's freaking hilarious. There are so many giant hard ons in that. So many like phalluses. Um, but yeah, so he uh he was brought up in a like clowning family, like as a theatrical family, but he decided to stop putting on the masks and like their traditional commedia and started the white face clown, like the white face with the red nose, like the what we know today as sure. a clown. Um, and his clown was basically in pantomimes in England, so he's British, um, and he satirized contemporary British life. So he did very much what like Oscar Wilde was doing with his like his uh, work and uh, what um, Shaw was doing with his plays and whatnot, which was like doing shows about the British while making fun of the British. So it became commentary on society. Kind of what we were just talking about. People find it hilarious when you make fun of them. Like, yeah. So that's exactly what this guy did. So Joseph Grimaldi became really famous. Uh, one of the most famous like art artists ever in London, you know, next to Shakespeare, I guess. So he would do a lot of comic impersonations, which was new. And he was much more than just like a pratfall and stuff. Like it was, he was intelligent. He became like one of the uh, main characters. He wasn't just the sidekick. It was the main character, um, sure. which, you know, led way to 
many, many stories about clowns where it used to just be the clown was like, like in a Shakespeare play, the clown was the, the, the sidekick on the side that was, that made people laugh. But the main story was about the lovers. Well, he was like, no, shit, the clown, the clown can be the lover too, which very much influenced people like Charlie Chaplin and Peter Sellers and, you know, clowns to today will say that they were inspired by this uh, Joseph Grimaldi who uh, he got the nickname Joey. So this kind of clown was called the Joey's. And yeah, so there's like a nickname for it, which I did not know. The term like basically describes the makeup style that it is. So a Joey clown is the white face with the red nose and like the the contour and a different color and stuff like that. So it said he is easily one of the most popular English entertainers of the day and like in history. The uh, Simon Cowell has concluded that no other clown achieved Grimaldi's level of fame. So British actor. Uh, not Simon Cowell, like the guy. Simon Cowell. Callow, yes. Not Simon yeah. Cowell as in like on America's Got Talent or what? No, wait, American Idol. Um, he's on both. He's I on both. Yeah. Um, or has been on has both. Has been. No, I'm talking about Simon Callow, who is a famous yeah. British actor. So. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Famous for particularly his his work in restoration comedies. Yes. So Grimaldi is remembered, as I mentioned in the last episode I spoke about, like fun facts of clowns. That every year there is a like it's cl- like clown comic con basically it's a service that has been held since the 1940s that attracts hun- that be clown macon clown macon ooh I like it <laughs> uh, it's the first Sunday in February and it's at the Holy Trinity Church which is where he's buried. And like hundreds of clown performers from all over the world attend in full clown getup. So it's just like if you want if you do not like clowns. Do not show up at Holy Trinity Church in Hackney, Hackney, Hackney on the first weekend of February because you will not have a good time. <laughs> you will, you I, will. There has to be a murder mystery that takes place on that weekend. If there isn't, get on that shit or trademark, trademark. <laughs> there has to be. Like, I've got to imagine. I don't or know. Or like a serial killer origin story or something. I don't know. Like... It's kind of a quirky, like, you know, random thing, like, event that many people might not know about. So, um, but yes, so there's this huge festival in honor of him. And in 2010, a coffin-shaped musical memorial dedicated to Grimaldi, it's made of musical floor tiles, was installed at Joseph Grimaldi Park, which is right down from this, this church, the bronze tiles are tuned so when danced upon it, it is possible to play Hot Codlins, which was like his like famous song. Like, you know, like you think of like the circus and it's like, but like this is so you it's like the big piano like. So they are it, literally encouraging people to dance on his grave. Yes, kind of. <laughs> so that shows what kind of guy he was like that. They're like, I think he'd appreciate this. Um, there's also a 2017 film, if you want to check it out. It's called Grimaldi, The Funniest Man in the World, and it revolves around his life. It stars the Chuckle Brothers, <laughs> which I've heard of before, so I was like, yeah. okay. So, yeah, so that's Joseph Grimaldi, the original Joey or the original modern-day clown. The name like that, he sounds like a Harry Potter character. Joseph Grimaldi? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, Joey, of course, is from Joseph, but, like... uh 
Yeah, Joseph Grimaldi sounds like Joseph he Joseph Grimaldi. Should. He sounds like he has a shop in Diagon Alley. Like the professor of clowning. <laughs> All right, so that was Clown Corner. Thank you for attending Clown Corner. Yay! This has been another successful installment, and now we return you to your regularly scheduled bullshit. So it's my week to pick a story. Um which is very exciting for me, and uh, I get, did some little research. So we have covered this author a few times, and from what I can tell, this story will not be as upsetting as some. So this is Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. Um, one of the reasons I picked this is there is an episode of Wednesday that they all dress up they all take inspiration from their favorite Poe story and dress up in character to do a boat race and <laughs> Wednesday's team does the black cat <laughs> and I all went right. yes the most disturbing thing we've ever read it's great of course that's Wednesday's favorite story of course so um so I was like ooh Edgar Allan Poe we haven't done one in a while and anyway so what I've done is, so I just read, because we don't read the stories beforehand, but literally in the like tagline for the story, it's, I know for a fact there is something to do with a message in a bottle. <laughs> like oh. that is like, it's like on a ship, someone discovers message in a bottle. And I went, oh, okay, I'm going to talk. I hope ab- that someone gets my, I hope that someone, someone gets, gets my, my, I hope that someone gets my message in a bottle. Well, what I'm going to do for fun facts is famous message in a bottle stories of All ones right. that were found. So, uh, so this one is called, uh, this was found by Jeff Flood at 90 Mile Beach in New Zealand. It was sent by Herbert Hillbrick from an unknown location um, but thought to be well on a ship traveling from England to Australia when he like dropped it in. The time it was at sea was 76 years before it was discovered. Cool. So Jeff Flood was walking with his partner on 90 Mile Beach in New Zealand. This was November 2012 when he noticed a bottle floating near the beach. Inside the bottle, he found a handwritten note dated March 17th, 1936. It said, right? Isn't that so cool? (laughs) Like, all all I want to do is wander beaches and look for messages in a bottle after reading these. I'm like, this is so cool. Um, And the, the message said, at sea, would the finder of this bottle kindly forward this note where found date to under mentioned address, which said H.E. Hillbrick, 72 Richmond Street, Letterville, Western Australia which is near Perth. So I also was like, oh, I I kind of know where that is. The note was written on special stationery marked with a picture of the ship that he was on, the SS Stratnever, a British Royal Mail ship. And Flood discovered that H.E. Hilbrick had actually passed away in the early 1940s. Um, But he was led to Hilbrick's, Hilbrick's grandson, Peter Hilbrick, who lived in Perth. And he... Peter said he actually had never, of course, never met his great grandfather. And like, so this was his connection to his grandfather and how cool it was. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) so that was one. I loved it. Uh, This is uh, our next story, which is this was found by Daniil Korotothik in Lithuania and Russia. So I 
I'm not going to be able to pronounce that name. I'm sure you just offended them greatly. I well, if they're in Russia, they're probably not listening to this right now. So, uh, uh, and it was sent by Frank Uzbek, who was uh, on a ship traveling to Denmark, and this was at sea for 24 years. So Dan Danny or Daniel with the Russian last name was a 13 year old Russian was walking with his parents along a beach on the Korean spit when he saw what looked like a German beer bottle with a ceramic plug laying in the sand. He found the message. It was written in German. So his father knew a little bit of German and translated the letter. It said, my name is Frank and I'm five years old. My dad, yeah. My dad and I I know. My dad and I are traveling on a ship to Denmark. If you find this letter, please write back to me and I will write back to you. The five-year-old boy who wrote the letter is Frank Uzbek, who was now 29 when the message was discovered. Uh, Our Russian boy, Koryothik, and Uzbek met each other via internet video link in March 2011 and have continued correspondence. That's so cool. It's so cool, right? (laughs) Yay, pen pals. I know. I love it. All right. And then our final one, I did three. So this is a British, this one's a little like uh, World War II moment. A British soldier on his way to the front. So Steve Gowan on the Essex coast of England sent this, uh, was found, it was found by. It was sent by Private Thomas Hughes, who tossed it in the English Channel in 1914. The time at sea, 85 years. In 1999, while fishing off the Essex coast in England, Steve Gowan found a green ginger beer bottle with a screw-on stopper. Inside, Gowan found a message from 26-year-old World War I soldier, Private Thomas Hughes, to his wife with a covering note for the finder of the bottle. The bottle had been tossed in the English Channel when he left to fight in France. The cover note said, Sir or madam, youth or maid, which, <laughs> which I just find to be the most British thing I've ever read in my life. <laughs> Would you kindly forward the enclosed letter and earn the blessing of a poor British soldier on his way to the front this ninth day of September, 1914. Signed, Private T. Hughes, 2nd Durham Light Infantry, 3rd Army Corp Expendary Force. <laughs> so, very British. And then underneath was the letter for his wife. Said, Dear wife, I am writing this note on this boat and dropping it in the sea just to see if it will reach you. If it does, sign this envelope on the right-hand bottom corner where it says receipt. Put the date and hour of receipt and your name where it says signature and look after it well. Ta-ta, sweet, for the present, your hubby. Oh. Which is just... That's so cute. Which is so cute. Now, so... This is not cute. So two days later, after writing the letter, he was killed in combat, this this uh, soldier. The family later moved to New Zealand, where Gowan was able to deliver the letter to Hugh's daughter. So his wife was pregnant when, yeah. when he went away to war. So his daughter gets this uh, letter, and she's in her 80s at this point. I mean, sure, this was yeah. 85 years later. Yeah. So, like, what a magical, like, thing to receive, like, from from the, the gods and and the the, uh, the the nature. So, I think it's a beautiful story. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, messages in a bottle. So, today, 
you will be reading Miss Found in a Bottle by Edgar okay. Allan Poe, written in 1833. Let's start this fire. Yeah. Miss Found in a Bottle by Edgar Allan Poe. Fuck you, this starts with a sentence in French. <laughs> I did actually know that. <laughs> Qui n'a plus comme moment à vivre n'a plus rien à dissimuler. Qui know à ti. That was pretty good. Um, that's going to be something about... Um, who has a minute a moment to yeah. live who has a moment to live has nothing to hide Ooh. or something to that effect yeah if you want a more detailed translation you can look it up but we'll, it's going to be ballpark that we'll figure it out well i'll, I'll okay. do the translation after but okay okay cool Of my country and my family, I have little to say. Ill usage and length of years have driven me from the one and estranged me from the other. Uh-oh. <laughs> Starting well. <laughs> Hereditary wealth afforded me an education of no common order, and a contemplative turn of mind enabled me to methodize the stores which early study very diligently garnered up. Beyond all these, the study of the German moralists gave me great delight, not from any ill-advised admiration of their eloquent madness, but from the ease with which my habits of rigid thought enabled me to detect their falsities. Well, God, this person has no opinions at all. <laughs> no opinions, no, no drama, no nothing. <laughs> he just hates his country and his family and... Apparently, German philosophers, and and, and apparent, apparently the Germans. <laughs> but he likes reading them anyway because he's so smart he can figure them out. <laughs> yeah, he, they make him feel superior. <laughs> Rough. He must be French. Hey. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the French don't need the Germans to feel superior. They feel superior plenty on their well, own. Well, yes, but they definitely feel superior over the Germans. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Have I have I shared on the podcast the theory that you can tell everything you need to know about a culture based on how their language says butterfly? Yeah, uh, I don't know if you talked about it on the podcast, but there's a so there's a YouTube English, video about it. It's funny. Yeah. So in English, it's butterfly, yeah. which seems fairly practical and kind of you get a sense of what a butterfly is based yeah. on that word. In French, it is papillon, because. Yeah. That is so French. And in German, it is Schmetterling. 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 <laughs> anyway. Which is just a great description of the entire German language. So. Yep. I have often been reproached with the aridity of my genius. <laughs> Humble as well. A deficiency of imagination has been imputed to me as a crime. And the... Pyrrhonism of my opinions has at all times rendered me notorious. Okay. I don't know what I know. I kind of want to look it up. It's it's uh, capitalized, so I'm guessing it is a name. P 
Pironian skepticism involves having no beliefs about psychological, scientific, or theoretical matters. And according to some interpreters, no beliefs at all. Period. <laughs> oh, so he's a nihilist. Yeah. Yeah. So he should fit in with the Germans just I fine. know, he should love Germans. <laughs> <laughs> and the Pironism of my opinions has at all times rendered me notorious. Indeed, a strong relish for physical philosophy has, I fear, tinctured my mind with a very common error of this age. I mean, the habit of referring occurrences, even the least susceptible of such reference, to the principles of that science. Upon the whole, no person could be less liable than myself to be led away from the severe precincts of truth by the ignis fatui of superstition. <laughs> wow, this guy is super fun to drink with, I'm sure. <laughs> that sounded like sarcasm. I'm going to go with, but really. But really. No, I'm like, there is sarcasm there, but it's also like, it, he'd probably be very interesting to drink with. Yeah. Like, I'd be probably infuriated most of the time, but I'd probably be fascinated. So... <laughs> I have thought proper to premise thus much, lest the incredible tale I have to tell should be considered rather the raving of a crude imagination than the positive experience of a mind to which the reveries of fancy have been a dead letter and a nullity. Okay, basically, okay. so we're going to hear a story that he's like, I did not make this up because I don't fucking believe in this shit. So this is real. <laughs> we had a whole string of stories a while back yeah. that started with, listen... I know this is going to sound crazy. I get it. I wouldn't believe me if I heard this story either. But I promise you, I'm not just some nut job. This all really happened. Yeah, one of them was a female author. And then one of them was definitely um, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, oh, my God. Doyle. Doyle. It was definitely a Doyle yeah. story. It must have been the thing in the 19th century. Because for a while there, we were reading a bunch of stories in the 1800s. And it was like... They all start they out all started with, with like, I promise I'm not crazy. <laughs> I promise I'm not crazy. I promise I'm not pulling your leg. I would never tell a lie because I believe in nothing. So, so it must be true. <laughs> I'm a man of science, but I believe in ghosts. But now. I saw a ghost. <laughs> After many years spent in foreign travel, I sailed in the year 18... <laughs> from the port of Batavia... <laughs> in the rich and populous island of Java on a voyage to the archipelago of the Sunda Islands. That sounds like a fun journey. Does yeah, the Isle of Java have really good coffee? Because I'm into that's, it. That's, that is what the name comes from, yeah. Oh, good. I'm I'm into it then. Yeah. I just yeah, love like the, the year of 18... Because it doesn't actually yeah. say. <laughs> nope. Which is what I, I tend to tell people that I was born in 19... <laughs> well, I'm going to start doing that too now. <laughs> How old are you? Well, I was born in 19... Which tells you I'm at least 23 years old. So I can yeah. still drink. So don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> I went as a passenger, having no other inducement than a kind of nervous restlessness which haunted me as a fiend. He's got no madness. Nope. He likes to travel. Nope. Wanderlust. Our wanderlust. Hey, that's yeah. a that's a German word. <laughs> Wanderlust, like it's a German word. It's like love of love of travel, love, love of like, wandering, love of wander. Well, it's 
Lust of Wander. Ooh, turned on by travel. That's yeah. a whole nother that's a whole nother reason to get put on the no fly list. <laughs> 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 Which I hear some people are into, but <laughs> I can only finish if we're flying. <laughs> what an unfortunate you need some therapy. <laughs> yep. Our vessel was a beautiful ship of about 400 tons, copper fastened, and built at Bombay of Melabar Teak. She was freighted with cotton wool and oil from the Lacadive Islands. We had also on board a bunch of stuff that I can't pronounce. Oh, coconuts. But it's, it's the British version of uh, spelling of coconuts is one of them. Cocoa nuts. And a few cases of opium. <laughs> Great. Okay, well, now I know why this story happened, because he got into the cases of opium. <laughs> there was a fire on the ship, and everyone just breathed in the smoke. He doesn't believe in anything, but cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but so basically, it's a ship full of, oh, ghee. That's like that, that oh, that's, butter Yeah, it's stuff. like the false, it's like a different, it's a, a substitute for butter. Yeah, and then, and then coconuts and opium. Yeah. Great. What a fun the ship. <laughs> the stowage was clumsily done, and the vessel, consequently, crank. We got underway with a mere breath of wind, and for many days stood along the eastern coast of Java without any other incident to beguile the monotony of our course than the occasional meeting with some of the small grabs of the archipelago to which we were bound. One evening, leaning over the half rail I assume the yeah. railing of the ship yeah <laughs> I observed a very singular isolated cloud to the northwest it was remarkable as well for its color as for its being the first we had seen since our departure from Batavia I watched it attentively until sunset when it spread all at once to the eastward and westward girting in the horizon with a narrow strip of vapor and looking like a long line of low beach. Oh, I love sunsets on the boats. <laughs> My notice was soon afterwards attracted by the dusky red appearance of the moon and the peculiar character of the sea. The latter was undergoing a rapid change and the water seemed more than usually transparent. Although I could distinctly see the bottom, yet heaving the lead, I found the ship in 15 fathoms. The air now became intolerably hot and was loaded with spiral exhalations similar to those arising from heat iron. As night came on, every breath of wind died away. A more entire calm it is impossible to conceive. The flame of a candle burned upon the poop without the least perceptible motion. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Oh, she's broken. Oh, she's broken. description of like the ship that I was totally sucked in and now all I see is a flame 
Oh my god. I'm crying. I'm crying. <laughs> now all I see is Billy Madison with like a flaming bag of shit. <laughs> and he knocks on the door. <laughs> he like stomp out the poop bag. It's like, no. <laughs> or the little poop emoji. Yeah, the poop emoji. And someone and someone has set it on fire and he's trying to use his hands to put himself out, but he's flinging poop all over the place. <laughs> poop. The flaming candle on the poop. Oh, that's one of the best lines we've had in a while. <laughs> it's so a candle fun. burned upon the poop. <laughs> candle burned upon the poop. <laughs> in naval architecture, a poop deck is a deck that forms the roof of a cabin built in the rear or aft of the superstructure of a ship. <laughs> it's in the rear. <laughs> the poop deck is in the rear. Or the aft. I guess aft is the correct term, but I like it in the rear. <laughs> That's the title no, of this episode. No, don't take that out of context. I really don't think the context matters on that one. I just um, think it's... I think it does change this. I, I think it will it will uh, attract a demographic I'm super into. So let's, let's just... I'm good. I'm good with it. <laughs> oh, oh, so you're, you are into attracting people who like it in the rear. Well, I mean, have you met most of my friends? <laughs> I don't know if I've met most of your friends, but I've met a fair number of them. Uh, the thing is, I would not deign to assume to whether assume. or not they like it in the rear. That's true. They might like to give it in the rear or they might like to, you know, just they're accepting of whether you like it in the rear or not. I think it's oh, more, yeah, 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 I think none of my friends or uh, people that I hang out with are, are judgmental of where you like it, so. Sure, which, well, and there's, a, but there's a difference between saying I, I am non-judgmental of your preferred location versus <laughs> I like it in the rear. Now, as long as they don't like to light candles on the poop, then, uh, that's. Hey, don't, that's, don't yuck someone's yum. I mean, that is someone's yum. That is definitely someone's yum. And uh, if they could just keep it away from my house um, and belongings, <laughs> then I'm I'm good. Keep <laughs> your flaming shit to yourself. Keep your flaming shit off my doorstep, Billy Madison. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, All right, back Jesus to back H. to this beautiful description of this beautiful like night uh, of a sunset on a boat. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll try not to laugh when you read it again. <laughs> The flame of a candle burned upon the poop without the least perceptible motion, and a long hair held between finger and thumb hung without the possibility of detecting a vibration. Oh no, there's a vibration and the poop? Yep. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> and apparently there's a long hair stuck somewhere, yeah, which would be really uncomfortable. I hope the hair isn't in the poop. <laughs> However... As the captain said, he could perceive no indication of danger, and as we were drifting in bodily to shore, he ordered the sails to be furled and the anchor let go. No watch was set, and the crew, consisting principally of Malays, stretched themselves deliberately upon the deck. I went below, not without a full presentiment of evil. Ooh. Indeed, <laughs> Every appearance warranted me in apprehending a simoom. What's a simoom? I don't know. Is it a type of cow? <laughs> simoom. A simoom. Simoom. 
a hot, dry, dust-laden wind blowing in the desert. <laughs> All right. So maybe, well, maybe he thinks there's going to be like a windstorm. Like, a windstorm, yeah. Well, because they saw, he said the cloud was like spreading. So maybe yeah. there was like dust in the air. Because they're sailing in like warm, very warm climates. Yeah. It could so. be a desert island that they're, yeah. they're uh, pulling up to. Yeah. I told the captain my fears, but he paid no attention to what I said and left me without deigning to give reply. My uneasiness, however, prevented me from sleeping, and about midnight I went upon deck. As I placed my foot upon the upper step of the companion ladder, I was startled by a loud humming noise that occasioned by the rapid revolution of the mill wheel, and before I could ascertain its meaning, I found the ship quivering to its center. Oh no. In the next instant, a wilderness of foam hurled us upon <laughs> our beam ends, and rushing over us fore and aft, swept the entire decks from stem to stern. Oh shit, did they just get engulfed by a wave or by like whale semen <laughs> yes they were engulfed by a wave of whale semen <laughs> just the the foam and the vibrations and it's like the the whale just was like were you with me when we were in bermuda and those kids were like it's whale semen or was that tomas i think it was that tomas. was not me <laughs> these local bermudian kids were like you know fucking with people because they're teenagers and there was like some, there was foam in the water. Like, you know, sometimes in the ocean, there's like, you know, almost a residue. It's like, right. if if the grass is like changing seasons and stuff, like the seagrass and stuff. So I'm about to jump in the water on the, off one of these cliffs and these like teenage boys go, you know what that foam is, right? And I'm like, I don't really care. And they were like, it's whale semen. And I was like, cool. And I jumped in. <laughs> Tomas was dying. <laughs> and I came up and they're like, damn, that's that's weird. And I was like, whatever. I was like, I was like, maybe I'll get pregnant with a whale baby. <laughs> I was like, give birth to a mermaid. I was basically like back talking these kids and they could not believe the things coming out of my mouth. I'm like, you messed with the wrong white girl. <laughs> you fucked with the wrong tourist. Yeah, the wrong tourist just got messed with y'all. <laughs> like, I'm gonna give it right back. Also, very few things in the ocean scare me, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they've I been mean, engulfed by gotta, whale you semen. Gotta figure, you gotta figure that the ocean is like 60% whale semen anyway. Uh, it's at least 60% like ocean creature semen. I mean, come on. <laughs> Don't think about what you're swimming in. Don't worry about it. Hey, listener, if you're on vacation in a beautiful <laughs> uh, island climate right now, you should probably just skip the rest of this episode. It's probably not going to get any better. Enjoy. The extreme fury of the blast proved in a great measure the salvation of the ship. Although completely waterlogged, yet as her masts had gone by the board, she rose after a minute heavily from the sea and staggering a while beneath the immense pressure of the tempest finally righted. By what miracle I escaped destruction, it is impossible to say. Stunned by the shock of the water, I found myself, upon recovery, jammed in between the stern post and rudder. Kinky. 
With great difficulty, I gained my feet and looking dizzily around was at first struck with the idea of our being among breakers. So terrific and beyond the wildest imagination was the whirlpool of mountainous and foaming ocean within which we were engulfed. After a while, I heard the voice of an old Swede who had shipped with us at the moment of our leaving port. I hallooed to him with all my strength, and presently he came reeling aft. We soon discovered that we were the sole survivors of the accident. Oh, fuck. <laughs> all on deck, with the exception of ourselves, had been swept overboard. The captain and mates must have perished as they slept, for the cabins were deluged with water. Without oh. assistance, we could expect to do little for the security of the ship, and our exertions were at first paralyzed by the momentary expectation of going down. Oh my god. That was that was an abrupt turn. And everybody died. Except for me and this Swedish guy, and I'm pinned between the rudder and the stern post. It's just me and the Swedish chef. <laughs> bork, bork, bork. Bork, bork. Our cable had, of course, parted like pack thread at the first breath of hurricane, or we should have been instantaneously overwhelmed. We scudded with frightful velocity before the sea, and the water made clear breaches over us. The framework of our stern was shattered excessively, and in almost every respect, we had received considerable injury. But to our extreme joy, we found the pumps unchoked. Why is joy capitalized? <laughs> that just um, freaks me out because that's the boat I was on forever. And why is it capitalized? <laughs> well, joy is the name of their uh, sex doll. Oh. <laughs> and it's the extreme version. So she's inflatable. Oh, okay. So they have a life raft. Oh, oh it's a life raft. Okay, yeah. great. Okay. It's, I just it's saw a, it and was like... It's had, an inflatable sex raft. I had, like, PTSD for a second. I was like, why is it capitalized? And the pumps are unchoked, so they the can bump. keep pumping her up. <laughs> yeah. Don't choke her while you're pumping her up. you got to wait until she's fully inflated, and then you can choke her. Yep. <laughs> so many things. Bearing all that in mind, please listen to this <laughs> sentence in full. Oh, no. But to our extreme joy, we found the pumps unchoked and that we had made no great shifting of our ballast. That's good. The main fury of the blast had already blown over, and we apprehended little danger from the violence of the wind, but we looked forward to its total cessation with dismay. Well believing that in our shattered condition, we should inevitably perish in the tremendous swell which would ensue. But this very just apprehension seemed by no means likely to be soon verified. For five entire days and nights, during which our only subsistence was a small quantity of jaggery procured with great difficulty from the forecastle. The Hulk flew at a rate defying computation before rapidly succeeding flaws of wind. 
which, without equaling the first violence of the Samoom, were still more terrific than any tempest I had before encountered. So this sucks. They're just stuck on a boat, like, floating around in this fucking, like, five-day windstorm. Yeah. And, and apparently hurtling through the sea at rather disturbing rate. Well, fucking A. Yeah. Our course for the first four days was with trifling variations southeast and by south. And we must have run down the coast of New Holland. On the fifth day, the cold became extreme, although the wind had hauled round a point more to the northward. The sun arose with a sickly yellow luster and clambered a very few degrees above the horizon, emitting no decisive light. There were no clouds apparent, yet the wind was upon the increase and blew with a fitful and unsteady fury. About noon, as nearly as we could guess, our attention was again arrested by the appearance of the sun. It gave out no light properly so called, but a dull and sullen glow without reflection as if all its rays were polarized. Just before sinking within the turgid sea, its central fires suddenly went out, as if hurriedly extinguished by some unaccountable power. It was a dim, silver-like rim alone as it rushed down the unfathomable ocean. Five days of fuckery. That's what, yeah. that, that's what that paragraph was. I also wonder, based on that description, if it was just there's so much stuff up in the air and the sun isn't getting very high, so it's um, kind of pale. Yeah. Or based on that description, it's also possible that just before the sun went down, there was an eclipse. Oh, yeah, an eclipse. Or they are fucking on another planet. Like, they just got, like, yeah. we're now in a sci-fi, Edgar Allan Poe's first sci-fi uh, story. <laughs> they have been swept away. To the mystical world of Poe land. So, uh, dear listener, if you are fond of creating fan art, um, this episode's fan art is Edgar Allan Poe and the Swedish chef fucking <laughs> on, a, on an alien planet. On a boat. On a boat on, on an alien boat. planet. <laughs> Have fun with that. <laughs> I'm going to get a weird cross stitch. <laughs> <laughs> we waited in vain for the arrival of the sixth day. That day, to me, has not arrived. To the Swede, never did arrive. Oh, shit. Thenceforward, we were enshrouded in patchy darkness so that we could not have seen an object at 20 paces from the ship. Eternal night continued to envelop us, all unrelieved by the phosphoric sea brilliancy to which we had been accustomed in the tropics. We observed, too, that although the tempest continued to rage with unabated violence, there was no longer to be discovered the usual appearance of surf or foam which had hitherto attended us. All around were horror and thick gloom and a black, sweltering desert of ebony. Superstitious terror crept by degrees into the spirit of the old Swede, and my own soul was wrapped up in silent wonder. We neglected all care of the ship as worse than useless, and securing ourselves as well as possible to the stump of the mizzen mast, looked out bitterly into the world of ocean. 
We had no means of calculating time, nor could we form any guesses of our situation. We were, however, well aware of having made farther to the southward than any previous navigators, and felt great amazement at not meeting with the usual impediments of ice. This sounds like how Christopher Columbus discovered America. <laughs> Accidentally? Fully accidental while, st- while strapped to a mask going, I don't know where the fuck we are, but we're really far away from where people normally go. <laughs> They're going to wash up in Australia and be like, ooh, kangaroos. <laughs> and then get kicked to death. And then get beat to shit, yes. <laughs> in the meantime, every moment threatened to be our last. Every mountainous billow hurried to overwhelm us. The swell surpassed anything I had imagined possible. And that we were not instantly buried is a miracle. My companion spoke of the lightness of our cargo and reminded me of the excellent qualities of our ship, but I could not help feeling the utter hopelessness of hope itself, and prepared myself gloomily for that death which I thought nothing could defer beyond an hour as... With every knot of way the ship made, the swelling of the black, stupendous seas became more dismally appalling. At times, we gasped for breath at an elevation beyond the albatross, at times became dizzy with the velocity of our descent into some watery hell, where the air grew stagnant and no sound disturbed the slumbers of the Kraken. The Kraken! Also, I love that the Swede was like, we have, like, we don't have a ton of cargo, but he's like, hint, hint, there's opium down there. (laughs) (laughs) We could just get real high. We could just get real fucked up while we're strapped to this, this post. Come on, it'll be fun. We were at the bottom of one of these abysses when a quick scream from my companion broke fearfully upon the night. See! See! cried he, shrieking in my ears. Almighty God, see! See! As he spoke, I became aware of a dull, sullen glare of red light which streamed down the sides of the vast chasm where we lay and threw a fitful brilliancy upon our deck. Casting my eyes upward, I beheld a spectacle which froze the current of my blood. At a terrific height directly above us and upon the very verge of the precipitous descent hovered a gigantic ship of perhaps 4,000 tons. Although upreared upon the summit of a wave more than a hundred times her own altitude, her apparent size exceeded that of any ship of the line or East Indiamen in existence. It's a ghost ship. Here come the pirates. Her huge hull was of a deep, dingy black, unrelieved by any of the customary carvings of a ship. A single row of brass cannon protruded from her open ports and dashed from their polished surfaces the fires of innumerable battle lanterns, which swung to and fro about her rigging. This sounds like a pirate ship to me. (laughs) It sounds like a ghost pirate ship. Yeah. (laughs) 
But what mainly inspired us with horror and astonishment was that she bore up under the press of sail in the very teeth of that supernatural sea and of that ungovernable hurricane. When we first discovered her, her bows were alone to be seen, as she rose slowly from the dim and horrible gulf beyond her. For a moment of intense terror, she paused upon the giddy pinnacle as if in contemplation of her own sublimity, then trembled and tottered and came down. So the waves are so big. I'm just like, like, these waves are like, like I've been on 25 foot seas, 30 foot seas. These are like 100-foot seas. These these waves are so big that the ship is, like, getting sent up so high that they are looking down at birds. Yeah. And then, like, and then, skiing down the... Yeah, the, and then they're basically being engulfed by water, which is yeah. why they're tied to the mast and they can't yeah. go do their opium. And now there's a boat, like, right above them. That's terrifying. At this instant, I know not what sudden self-possession came over my spirit. Staggering as far aft as I could, I awaited fearlessly the ruin that was to overwhelm. Our vessel was at length ceasing from her struggles and sinking with her head to the sea. The shock of the descending mass struck her, consequently, in that portion of her frame which was already under water, and the inevitable result was to hurl me with irresistible violence upon the rigging of the stranger. As I fell, the ship hove in stays and went about, and to the confusion ensuing, I attributed my escape from the notice of the crew. With a little difficulty, I made my way unperceived to the main hatchway, which was partially open, and soon found an opportunity for secreting myself in the hold. Wait, did he just get on the other boat? Yeah. Holy shit! So he ran to the back of his ship. The other ship came and crashed into the front of his. And then he, like, leapt. Which (laughs) catapulted him, like, as his ship did a freaking, like, seesaw thing. He got catapulted onto the giant ghost pirate ship. That is some fucking Looney Tunes shit right there. <laughs> like, whee! <laughs> okay, so now he's on the ghost pirate ship. All yep. right, sweet. Why I did so, I can hardly tell. An indefinite sense of awe, which at first sight of the navigators of the ship had taken hold of my mind, was perhaps the principle of my concealment. I was unwilling to trust myself with a race of people who had offered, to the cursory glance I had taken, so many points of vague novelty, doubt, and apprehension. I therefore thought proper to contrive a hiding place in the hold. This I did by removing a small portion of the shifting boards in such a manner as to afford me a convenient retreat between the huge timbers of the ship. Oh, fuck. I I had scarcely completed my work when a footstep in the hold forced me to make use of it. A man passed by my place of concealment with a feeble and unsteady gait. I could not see his face but had an opportunity of observing his general appearance. Unsteady gait. I bet he's got a peg leg. (laughs) (laughs) There was about it an evidence of great age and infirmity. His knees tottered beneath the load of years, and his entire frame quivered under the burden. 
He muttered to himself in a low, broken tone some words of a language which I could not understand and groped in the corner among a pile of singular-looking instruments and decayed charts of navigation. His manner was a wild mixture of peevishness of second childhood and the solemn dignity of a god. Ooh, he just referenced Shakespeare. <laughs> second childhood, <laughs> second the childhood. Old, being old. Yep. He at length went on deck, and I saw him no more. A feeling for which I have no name has taken possession of my soul. A sensation which will admit no analysis, to which the lessons of bygone times are inadequate, and for which I fear futurity itself will offer me no key. To a mind constituted like my own, the latter consideration is an evil. I shall never, I know that I shall never, be satisfied with regard to the nature of my conceptions. Yet it is not wonderful that these conceptions are indefinite, since they have their origin in sources so utterly novel. A new sense, a new entity, is added to my soul. It is long since I first trod the deck of this terrible ship, and the rays of my destiny are, I think, gathering to a focus. Incomprehensible men, wrapped up in meditations of a kind which I cannot divine. They pass me by unnoticed. Because they're ghosts! <laughs> Concealment is utter folly on my part, for the people will not see. It was but just now that I passed directly before the eyes of the mate. It was not long while ago that I ventured into the captain's own private cabin and took thence the materials with which I write and have written. I shall from time to time continue this journal. Oh, shit. It is He's true. He's on a fucking ghost ship all by himself. And they're just like wandering around. <laughs> It is true that I may not find an opportunity of transmitting it to the world, but I will not fall to make the endeavor. At the last moment, I will enclose the MS in the bottle. Oh, it's, it's not... MS, not Ms. It's, uh, it's capitalized. Yep. MS, like message. The MS in a bottle. Oh, yep. shit! <laughs> At the last moment, I will enclose the MS in a bottle and cast it within the sea. An incident has occurred which has given me new room for meditation. Are such things the operation of ungoverned chance? I had ventured upon the deck and thrown myself down without attracting any notice among a pile of rattling stuff and old sails in the bottom of the yawl. While musing upon the singularity of my fate, I unwittingly daubed with a tar brush the edges of a neatly folded studding sail which lay near me on a barrel. The studding sail is now bent upon the ship, and the thoughtless touches of the brush are spread out into the word discovery. He's on the discovery ship. Welcome to the discovery ship, the discovery ship. It sounds like something you would watch on TV. <laughs> like, this sounds like a, like... Discovery ship, ship. Discovery. It, it runs right after Magic School Bus. Yeah, it, that's, I was going to say, it's like Magic School Bus. The discovery ship. 
I have made many observations lately upon the structure of the vessel. Although well armed, she is not, I think, a ship of war. Her rigging, build, and general equipment all negative a supposition of that kind. What she is not, I can easily perceive. What she is, I fear it is impossible to say. I know not how it is, but in scrutinizing her strange model and singular cast of spars, her huge size and overgrown suits of canvas, her severely simple bow and antiquated stern, there will occasionally flash across my mind a sensation of familiar things, and there is always mixed up with such indistinct shadows of recollection. Yeah, this there, one's a tongue twister. Yeah. He writes pretty. <laughs> and there is always mixed up with such indistinct shadows of recollection an unaccountable memory of old foreign chronicles and ages long ago. I have been looking at the timbers of the ship. She is built of a material to which I am a stranger. Because she's a ghost ship. There is a peculiar character about the wood which strikes me as rendering it unfit for the purpose to which it has been applied. I mean, it's, it's extreme porousness, considered independently by the worm-eaten condition, which is a consequence of navigation in these seas, and apart from the rottenness attended upon age. It will appear, perhaps, an observation somewhat over-curious, but this wood would have every characteristic of Spanish oak if Spanish oak were distended by any unnatural means. He's totally on the Black Pearl. He's totally on, like, the Black Pearl or what was the Flying Dutchman. The Flying That's Dutchman? The, the Flying Dutchman's the one that goes below the sea and, like, yeah. only comes up, like, occasionally. This is so cool. I did in not reading... expect a pirate... I did not expect a pirate ghost ship to appear in this story. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> In reading the above sentence, a curious apothem of an old weather-beaten Dutch navigator comes full upon my recollection. It is as sure, he was wont to say when any doubt was entered of his veracity, as sure as there is a sea where a ship itself will grow in bulk like the living body of the seaman. <laughs> Living bodies do tend to grow out of semen. That is true. <laughs> About an hour ago, I made bold to thrust myself among a group of the crew. They paid me no manner of attention, and although I stood in the very midst of them all, seemed utterly unconscious of my presence. Because they're dead. <laughs> like the one I had at first seen in the hold. They all bore about them the marks of a hoary old age. Their knees trembled with infirmity, their shoulders were bent double with decrepitude, their shriveled skins rattled in the wind, their voices were low, tremulous, and broken. Their eyes glistened with the room of years, and their gray hairs streamed terribly in the tempest. Around them, on every part of the deck, lay scattered mathematical instruments of the most quaint and obsolete construction. I mentioned some time ago the bending of a studding sail. From that period, the ship, being thrown dead off the wind, 
has continued her terrific course due south, with every rag of canvas packed upon her from her trucks to her lower studding sail booms, and rolling every moment her top gallant yard arms into the most appalling hell of water which it can enter into the mind of a man to imagine. And since you have no imagination, it has to be true. <laughs> I have just left the deck where I find it impossible to maintain a footing, although the crew seem to experience little inconvenience. It appears to me a miracle of miracles that our enormous bulk is not swallowed up at once and forever. We are surely doomed to hover continually upon the brink of eternity without taking a final plunge into the abyss. From billows and thousand times more stupendous than any I have ever seen, we glide away with the facility of an arrowy seagull, and the colossal waters rear their heads above us like demons of the deep, but like demons confined to simple threats and forbidden to destroy. I am led to attribute these frequent escapes to the only natural cause which I can account for such effect. I must suppose the ship to be within the influence of some strong current or impetuous undertow. Or dead people! I have seen the captain face to face and in his own cabin, but as I expected he paid me no attention. Although in his appearance there is, to a casual observer, nothing which might bespeak him more or less than man, still a feeling of irrepressible reverence and awe mingled with the sensation of wonder with which I regarded him. In stature, he is nearly my own height, that is, about five feet eight inches. Oh, you short! <laughs> he is of a well-knit and compact frame of body, neither robust nor remarkably otherwise, but it is the singularity of the expression which reigns upon the face. It is the intense, the wonderful, the thrilling evidence of old age, so utter, so extreme, which excites within my spirit a sense, a sentiment ineffable. His forehead, although little wrinkled, seems to bear upon it the stamp of a myriad of years. His gray hairs are records of the past, and his grayer eyes are sibyls of the future. The cabin floor was thickly strewn with strange iron-clasped folios and moldering instruments of science and obsolete long-forgotten charts. His head was bowed down upon his hands, and he pored with a fiery, unquiet eye over a paper which I took to be a commission, and which, at all events, bore the signature of a monarch. He muttered to himself, as did the first seaman whom I saw in the hold, some low, peevish syllables of a foreign tongue, and although the speaker was close at my elbow, his voice seemed to reach my ears from the distance of a mile. So this is Columbus's ghost ship because it has a monarch's, it's like a, a charge to go do something. It could be Spanish oak if it was like, you know, fucked up so bad that like, you know, the yada yada. Um, and uh, he's lost. <laughs> yeah. If not Columbus, something very similar. Yeah. 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 The ship and all in it are imbued with the spirit of Eld. 
The crew glide to and fro like the ghosts of buried centuries. Their eyes have an eager and uneasy meaning, and when their fingers fall athwart my path, in the wild glare of the battle lanterns, I feel as I have never felt before, although I have been all my life a dealer in antiquities and have imbibed the shadows of fallen columns at Baalbek and Tadmor and Persepolis until my very soul has become a ruin. When I look around me, I feel ashamed of my former apprehensions. If I tremble at the blast which has hitherto attended us, shall I not stand aghast at a warring of wind and ocean to convey any idea of which the words tornado and simoom are trivial and ineffective? All in the immediate vicinity of the ship is the blackness of eternal night and a chaos of foamless water. No but whale a- sperm. That's not a good sign. <laughs> But about a league on either side of us may be seen indistinctly and at intervals stupendous ramparts of ice, towering away into the desolate sky and looking like the walls of the universe. Wait, is he on a ship with the fucking, like, White Walkers? (laughs) Or a ship headed to hell? Yeah, oh, like the, like, Sphinx, or like, you know, uh, the... Crossing the the River Styx. Crossing the River Styx. Except instead of being in Egypt and hot, it's fucking freezing and in our... That is my hell. (laughs) As I imagined, the ship proves to be in a current. If that appellation can properly be given to a tide which, howling and shrieking by the white ice, thunders on to the southward with a velocity like the headlong dashing of a cataract. To conceive the horror of my sensation is, I presume, utterly impossible. Yet a curiosity to penetrate the mysteries of those awful regions predominates even over my despair and will reconcile me to the most hideous aspect of death. It is evident that we are hurrying onwards to some exciting knowledge, some never-to-be-imparted secret whose attainment is destruction. Perhaps this current leads us to the southern pole itself. It must be confessed that a supposition apparently so wild has every probability in its favor. The crew pace the deck with unquiet and tremulous step, but there is upon their countenances an expression more of the eagerness of hope than of the apathy of despair. In the meantime... The wind is still in our poop. (laughs) No more candles in the poop, just wind in the poop. That's a gaping asshole right there. (laughs) It means there was just a lot of gas behind it. It just came out with some propulsion. (laughs) All they have is beans to eat on this boat. Wind in the poop. <laughs> yeah, he, actually, he hasn't mentioned anything about having to eat since he got on the ship. I don't think he has. I think he's dead. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling he is not alive, or they are not alive. In the meantime, the wind is still in our poop. And as we carry a crowd of canvas, the ship is at times lifted bodily out of the sea. 
Oh, horror upon horror. The ice opens suddenly to the right and to the left, and we are whirling dizzily in immense concentric circles round and round the borders of a gigantic amphitheater, the summit of whose walls is lost in the darkness and the distance. But little time will be left me to ponder upon my destiny. The circles rapidly grow small. We are plunging madly within the grasp of the whirlpool, and amid a roaring and bellowing and thundering of ocean and of tempest, the ship is quivering, oh God, and going down. Note. The MS found in a bottle was originally published in 1831, and it was not until many years afterwards that I became acquainted with the maps of Mercator, in which the ocean is represented as rushing by four mouths into the northern polar gulf to be absorbed into the bowels of the earth, the pole itself being represented by a black rock towering to a prodigious height. The end. So, fuck, he escaped one ship that went down, and then he went down on another one. Yeah. <laughs> fucking sucks. He went, well, it probably is like the Black Pearl. It it went back down. I think he's dead. I think well, he was already dead. He almost certainly is by well, now. Well, he's definitely think, dead now. <laughs> I think if he was dead, I think the other, the, the, the members of that crew would have acknowledged him. Yeah. Because they were all dead. Because they were all dead. I think part of why they didn't acknowledge him is because he was a living person on a dead ship. Because the only way it could switch is if he's dead on their ship, and that's why they don't acknowledge him. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think they're all dead, and they're all, like, on a ship to hell, basically. And he stumbled upon... He stumbled upon a ship that saved him from the other ship, but it sent him to hell. So... And then he wrote it all down in his journal and saw... Now, that's a message in a bottle I don't want to find. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of want to open a bottle on a beach and find a fucking novel. A fucking, like, story that's like, holy shit, did you just send this from the gates of hell? <laughs> like, fuck! <laughs> that was a really beautifully written story. Yeah. Um, it was also very, like... Poe writes very poetically, but, like, it was not demented. (laughs) So, but this is one of his early stories. Yeah, weirdly, it actually made me think a lot more of um, something like like an early H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, well, I was waiting for the Kraken. I was waiting for, like, I was waiting for some sort of, like, well, there was. There was a supernatural aspect to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Which often is in Poe, but the peop- like the terror in Poe tends to be people. Yeah. Like hu- humanity. I mean, there is a little bit of supernatural in some of them, but like well, the, this was I mean, very yeah. supernatural. Yeah. Anyway. Like, yeah. Interesting one. That was cool. It was pretty. You mm-hmm. did a good job. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. I liked it. I liked all the poop. All the <laughs> All the poop and semen and whale sperm. It was great. <laughs> what? Who could ask for anything more in an ocean story? Who could ask for anything more? Who could ask for anything more? Woo! <laughs> what did you think, listener? Did you enjoy that one? Yeah, did you like it? Did Have you like it? Um, if you enjoyed it, 
please let us know by writing to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or shooting us a message on any of our social media. We are on all of those platforms. Uh, let us know what you thought. Um, and, or tell a friend. Just well, tell yeah, a friend to listen. Tell a friend, write a review. Those are the things that really help us out a ton. The more people you tell to listen, the more listens we get and the more listens we get. Uh, the more motivation we have to keep churning out this beautiful content for you. Beautiful poop, poop adult week. content. Yes. <laughs> um, when you send in those messages, uh, go ahead and include this week's secret passcode, which is wind in the poop. Wind in the poop. Oh, not candle in the poop. It's wind in the poop. Yeah. I like wind in the poop. Yeah, I think it's wind in the poop. <laughs> it's just, that's how I'm going to describe myself when I have gas from now on. And be like, I'm a little wind in the poop tonight. I have wind in my poop. <laughs> I got wind in the poop right now. It's just, I got to go take some, some Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> Sweet. I like it. All right. So a story all about gastrointestinal distress. That sounds like my life. That, I'm going to write a novel. I'm going to write a story about that. Well, <laughs> And not for nothing, but in the end, they ended up going down through a little hole and expelled out the other side. It's possible that this was this is all a, a metaphor story, for pooping. A story told from the point of view of poop. <laughs> from the poop emoji. Yeah. This is this is the origin story of the poop emoji. Okay. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> I don't know why he's so happy, but you know. I guess because he came, he finally got out. He's he like, I'm out. free. Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like we have thoroughly trashed that <laughs> classic work of literature. Do you have anything else to add? Nope. That's what we're here for. Great. Then until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Wind in the poop. Wind in the poop. Get on deck and wind in the poop. That's my new sea shanty. It's going to be a sea shanty in this. Thank you.